Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are right in the middle of a series we're calling Outrageous, and we're looking at some of the real outrageous claims that are made in Scripture. Most of them come right from the lips of Jesus, and many of them come actually right from His Sermon on the Mount. Um, Because he said some pretty outrageous things, things that just kind of stood conventional wisdom on its ear. And at first blush, you hear these things and you go, what? That can't be. That just, that doesn't make sense until you begin to understand what God is doing with these truths. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Sermon on the Mount. If you want to turn there, it's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And uh, the very beginning of the sermon starts like this, beginning in verse 1. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. Disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, you may be so familiar with that passage, and you've read that over and over again, that just doesn't even hit you at all. But if you take some time and think about each one of those statements, those are some pretty outrageous claims. It's just like, it's just contrary to our way of thinking. And what Jesus is doing is he is introducing the kingdom of God and he's saying, you are used to life operating in a certain way. And I'm going to tell you something. The way that God designed life to be, the way that his kingdom operates is like a 180 from what you expect. And that's why it sounds so outrageous to us. So this morning, we're going to take a look at just one of these, and and we're not going to just go all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take one of those, and I want to kind of go through all of Scripture, just examples in Scripture, where you can see, as you begin to realize, this really does make a whole lot more sense. And the one we're going to look at this morning is this one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, that seems totally contradictory, because that sounds like what he's saying is, be happy when your heart is breaking, How do you do that? You know, he's saying, how fortunate you are when your life is falling apart. What? That doesn't make any sense at all. It just sounds like nonsense. Or or it just sounds like one of those like trite little sayings, kind of like um, Bobby McFerrin's hit back in the early 90s. Don't just, don't worry, be happy, you know. Like that really helps everything, you know. But that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, listen... When you go through difficulty, when you go through heartbreak, when your heart is broken and your life is falling apart, what I want you to understand is there's meaning there. There's purpose, there's significance, and there's hope, even in the midst of some of the most difficult things you're going to go through in this life. It's not a trite saying. Say, no, no, there's something much deeper going on, and you need to understand that. There really is something about brokenness that can make you whole. Now, brokenness doesn't sound or feel much like a blessing. In fact, there is nothing about a breaking time in your life that feels very much like a blessing. And and what he's talking about is, is so contrary because 
conventional wisdom of that time, and actually to this day is, if life is going good, it must be God's blessing. I mean, how many have ever gone through a really rough patch or had some crisis strike your life and say, well, bless God, he's blessing me now? No. Our our conventional wisdom is, if everything's going good, then that's God's blessings. But if stuff's going bad, there must be something wrong with my relationship with God. I must be out of sync with him somehow. And Jesus says, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily. That God can work even in your brokenness to make you whole. How does that work? How can that possibly be? How can God use brokenness to make me whole? Well, there's some things about brokenness I think that we're going to unpack this morning. Maybe give you a little different perspective. And if you're here this morning and you are going through one of those breaking times, if you are going through a time where life is falling apart, because when he talks about those who mourn, what he's talking about, those who experience a sense of loss. And actually, the word that's used in this is, is the most extreme form of that. It's not like just you're having a little down day. This is like when life is falling apart. How can that possibly make you better? And one of the things is this is that brokenness can increase our awareness of God's involvement in our life. It can increase our knowledge of Him and and experience of Him, that it can truly increase our sense of His presence in our life. Because that's the promise that Jesus makes. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the word comforted there, the Greek word is parakaleo. Aren't you impressed? Four years of college. There you go. That's my Greek. Parakaleo. Literally, the word means to come alongside or to be called alongside. And what it has to do with this comfort is to have someone who is there for you. That, that no matter what you're going through, to know that there is somebody there with you. And the reason I think Jesus brings this up is he says, listen, I know when you go through times of brokenness, when life has fallen apart, one of the great things that adds to the whole mix is you feel like God's abandoned you at the same time. Because not only is it rough the circumstances you're going through, but it just seems like, God, where are you? How, how, could, how could you let this happen to me? What happened? I don't understand it. It's like life is going along and everything's normal and it's working well and my job's good and my marriage is good and my family is good and my, you know, my finances are good. Everything's going. And then a crisis interrupts everything. Just throws everything all apart. And you go, wait a minute. What happened? And one of the greatest feelings that comes along with that and what amplifies the sense of loss is that loss that God's not here either. And one of the things Jesus is saying is, listen, I know what it feels like when you go through times of breaking, when you are in those mourning times in your life. And one of the things I want you to know is somebody's with you. I'm with you. In fact, that parakaleo is... Comfort, that's the word that is used for the Holy Spirit when Jesus describes the ministry of the Spirit that is to come. God with us. That God is with you in the middle of all of that. Now, you have the choice to respond to that or not. But if it feels like God has abandoned you, Jesus is saying, I want you to understand He has not. That He is with you. No matter what's going on, right there in the middle of all of that, He's with you. He's there alongside you. David, King David put it this way, actually, before he became king. He was in a time in his life where it was like 
a really low time, a breaking point in his life. He had been anointed to become the king of Israel, but finds himself on the run fearing for his life because the current king of Israel doesn't like it so much the idea that he's going to become, you know, replaced. And so he's actually running for his life. He spends the night in a cave. It's like that's, that's the only place he could find any safety. And in the cave, he writes this psalm. And among the words he writes is this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Somehow in the middle of all of his loss, somehow in the middle of all of his brokenness, there's something there that he says, God's with me here. Joseph is another great example. If you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, okay? If you're not familiar with that story, Joseph has great vision and great dreams for his life. He, he, he has this sense that though he is the youngest of all of these 12 brothers, that he has a greatness in him. And, and, and that, that someday it will be recognized. In fact, he has dreams and visions of this idea that all of his brothers are going to bow down to him because he's going to be the one at the top. And in fact, he has another dream and, and it's that his parents even bow down to him and honor him and worship him and just recognize him for his greatness. Great dreams. And the thing is, those weren't just his dreams. Those were God-given dreams. Well, of course... You can imagine his brothers weren't too crazy about his ambition and dreams. And so they decide they're going to kill him. But they figure that's going to be too much for our parents to take. So instead of killing him, what they do is they sell him off into slavery. And this man with great dreams, God-given dreams and ambitions and goals, ends up a servant in Egypt. But he believes in God's dream for him, so he works hard and he makes his way up and he finds honor with his master and becomes the chief and head of all of the servants. And he's risen, rising back. You know, things went down for a little while, but they're rising back up, except now he's accused of raping his master's wife, unjustified, thrown into prison, finds himself now when things were just starting to turn the corner, now he's really at the bottom. And there's a little interesting sentence in the middle of all of that story. It's this. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. That may not seem like much. But what it's saying is that somehow in the middle of his lowest point, when just when things looked like they were turning around and now he's back down and even in a worse shape than before, that when they couldn't get any lower, the Lord was with him. That there is something that happens when all of our props and all of our foundations and all of our crutches that we rely on gets all knocked out from under us and we hit rock bottom that we begin to experience the presence of God in a way we never did when everything was going well. There's something that happens with Joseph in this prison that he senses the presence of God with him like he never did when he was back home before, when everything was going fine, when all of his dreams were on the up. There is something that happens to us when we come to the end of ourselves and realize all we've got left is God. And then you make the discovery, God's all you need. I love the way the message paraphrase puts this um, beatitude of Jesus. He says, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Because only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Our one-year-old grandson is just learning how to walk. And for the longest time now, for months now, his walking has been like this. 
holding on to table, holding on to chair, unwilling to let go. And, and, and we've been trying to get him to walk, you know, and just, and his, his mom, his dad, grandma and grandpa, we've all been trying to do this, even his big sister, five-year-old, just, come on, Cohen, come to me, come to me, and he'd be holding on to the table, and he wants to reach out and be hugged, and he wants to reach out and be held, but he doesn't want to let go of the table. And so he's, he's, he's stretching, but he doesn't want to let go, because this is what's holding him up. And what he's missing out on is the opportunity to walk and be embraced. <laughs> but he's un- unwilling to let go of what's comfortable. And finally this week, he let go. Yeah. We're all cheering. It's up on Facebook, the whole big deal, you know. <laughs> he is discovering walking now. Five steps. And he was back down on the ground. But he took five steps. And here's the deal. You will never fully appreciate the embrace of God You will never fully appreciate walking with God until you let go of the false things that are holding you up. Sometimes, sometimes brokenness is taking away the props that we're relying on. And then you begin to experience God's embrace in a deeper way. And there's something about brokenness that, that only brokenness can do that. Brokenness can increase your awareness of God's presence in your life. The other thing is the brokenness can actually be used to reshape your character. Because sometimes brokenness is stuff we do to ourselves. Sometimes brokenness comes at our own doing. When I was in elementary school, long time ago, when I was in elementary school, um, I fell off the big slide in the playground at, Wheaton, at recess and broke my arm. It was totally of my own doing. Because, you see, the rule was one at a time, right? You remember this rule from recess, okay? Yard duty aid, no, one at a time. You wait at the bottom of the ladder till the other one has come down. Well, of course, we had about four or five of us boys who thought that was a stupid rule. So we decided we were going to make a train. We were all going to get to the top and all going to come down the slide together. Well, of course, you know there's only so much room at the top of the slide. And I was the littlest kid there, and I was kind of pushed more to the edge And then over the edge, landed on my arm, backwards, broke my arm. It was my own doing. I disobeyed the rules. Now I know why there is that rule. It was something I brought upon myself. It was a brokenness that I brought on myself. We sometimes think by ignoring God's directives, by ignoring God's law, by ignoring God's principles, everything's good. It's all fun. We got it under control. Nothing's going to happen until we fall. And break something. And it's our own doing. We did it to ourselves. Can God possibly use something that I brought on myself? Yeah, he can. Sometimes God allows brokenness because we got to come to our own realization. Sometimes we're not ready to receive grace until we get to the point where we realize how desperately we need it. Sometimes that comes through brokenness. Alcoholics and recovering addicts talk about hitting bottom. And that's what it is. And sometimes God will allow us to go ahead and go our own way, do our own thing, thinking it's all working out, no problems, I got it under control, until we hit bottom. And then we realize something's got to change. 
Sometimes we will never make that change until we're broken. So God will allow brokenness. Great example of this is the apostle Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was in the the closest three. Peter, James, and John often were taken apart separately with Jesus away from the other 12. He was one of the most powerful of all the disciples. He was bold. He was outspoken. He was strong-willed. And he was incredibly devoted to Jesus. He is, say what you will, everybody talks about him sinking, you know, but he is the only disciple that actually walked on water. He was the first disciple to truly begin to get what Jesus was all about. Because it was one day when Jesus had his 12 disciples off to the side and they were having a conversation. He said, so guys, what's the word on the street? What, what, what are people saying? What, what do people think of me? Who do people think that I am or say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're the prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist coming back. You, so all kinds of different opinions. He said, okay, okay. What about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And in a flash of insight, in fact, Jesus said, this was revealed to you by my father. Peter says, but you're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Whoa. No one had gotten it up to that point. And and just this flash of insight, Peter gets, and and just, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, that's not just your thinking. That's God's revelation to you. You're getting it. Feeling pretty good about himself. Then Jesus goes on and starts talking a little bit about how that's going to happen. And one of the things that's going to happen is he's going to be arrested. He's going to suffer. He's going to have to go through all of this thing before the kingdom of God can truly come in. And Peter turns around and says, because he's so devoted to Jesus, no, Lord, we'll never let that happen. Not to you. No, 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 no. And just like three sentences later, Jesus turns to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He goes from hero to zero in a space of about two minutes. He's got this great revelation from God. Jesus endorses him. And then he turns around and has to put him back in his place. Because for all of his boldness, for all of his um, impetuousness, for all of his devotion, there were some things in Peter that needed changing first. Jesus saw the potential in him. He was an incredibly powerful guy. Strongly devoted. He had a lot of good things going for him. Part of the problem was that his strength was actually a weakness of his. Because he was so strong and so devoted, he thought he was untouchable later on towards the end of his ministry in fact the last night he's with them jesus warns peter he says listen before this night is over you're going to deny me three times not me lord no i'm going to i'd be willing to die with you i would never let that happen but sure enough by the end of that night that early morning he had done exactly what jesus said he was so self-confident, so self-assured, so, so devoted and, and strong and bold. How could anything? And he failed. And Peter discovered the greatest breaking of his life. And, and we know that because John's gospel tells us that even after Jesus was resurrected and as excited and happy as he was about the resurrection, he also realized or felt that there was no future for him anymore with Jesus. Because even after the resurrection, he turns to the other disciples. He says, you know what? I'm going back fishing. 
That's my real job. That's what I'm going to do. And Jesus comes and seeks him out. Actually invites him to breakfast. And he sits down with him over breakfast. And he says to Peter, listen, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. So then feed my sheep. And a little while later, he asks him a second time. Peter, do you love me? Lord, yeah, you know I love you. Well, then tend to my lambs. And then he asks him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And now it dawns on Peter what Jesus is driving at. Because three times he was asked if he was a follower of Jesus, and three times he denied it. And now in the third time, he's realizing what Jesus is getting at. And he answers him, and he says, Lord, you know all things. In fact, he's hurt from him. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Peter needed to be broken of his own self-confidence because what Peter was going to be doing for the rest of his life was going to take a lot more than self-confidence that he had. What God was preparing him for, what Jesus was preparing him for, was something that was going to be so totally beyond himself that he had to come to the end of himself. And it wasn't until he went through that breaking point that he was really ready. And what Jesus is doing is not only giving Peter three times to affirm his love, even though he had denied him three times, three times to affirm, but at the end of each one of those affirmations, he says, I've got something still for you to do. Feed my sheep. Pastor my people. Watch over my lambs. What he was saying in that moment was, okay, Peter, now you're ready. You had a lot going for you. I saw the potential. It was there all along. But you had to be broken a little bit before you were ready. Now you're ready. In my own life, times of breaking, painful, painful times of breaking, but God was using to reshape my character. One of them goes all the way back to my early years of ministry. I'd been a youth pastor, very successful youth ministry. Youth group grew, great stuff. Got a chance to become an associate pastor at a church in Washington. A church that I went to as associate pastor had just gone through a split. There was all kinds of heartbreak, all kinds of hurt, all kinds of bitterness and anger, all kinds of garbage left over from all of this. But I was going to fix it. I had all the answers. Me and the senior pastor, just the two of us, we were going to fix this problem. We were going to get this church back on its feet. We were going to... After a year, I was gone from that church. (laughs) Totally broken. Wiped out. Left the ministry completely. I I was just just like, I was at the end. I was done. I I was angry at God. I thought, God, if this is the way you treat the people that want to serve you, give you my whole heart, want to do everything for your church, and this is what happens, forget it. I'm done with this. Hurt, broken. I called my dad. He's a building contractor. I said, you got any work? He said, well, I got a, got a good job going on right now, big job going on. I said, could you use another man? And I came home, and for two and a half years, I did carpentry. Thought, that's the end of ministry for me. I'm done. I, there's nothing left for me in that. And over those two and a half years, God began to do some healing. And I began to realize there's some things that needed to change in me. In my attitude towards people, in my sense of my own abilities, 
And that breaking turned out to be the transformation of my life and ministry. Never choose to go through something like that again. It hurts to be broken. But it changed me. God will use those breaking points in your life. Sometimes to reshape your character. Because it's not until you're broken that the pieces can be put back together in the right way. And last one. That brokenness can point us to a hope that's beyond ourselves. See, there's something about brokenness that reminds us we live in a broken world. (laughs) Because sometimes the breaking isn't because of our own doing. Sometimes it's other people's brokenness that splashes over onto us. Sometimes breaking is just the result of living in a world that's broken. And it's a reminder that this is not all that there is. See, sometimes breaking is just simply the reminder, this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And it is not the way it will always be. See, that's the hope that we have. That this world is not all that is. And if you are in a time of breaking right now, if you have been broken and been laying there for a long time, even if this has dragged on for months, maybe even years, it feels like it's never going to end. And here is the truth. No matter how bad your experience, no matter how broken you might be, it is only temporary. This is not the end. The brokenness is a reminder that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And as bad as it might be right now for you, this is not the end. There is something better. That God is in the process of redeeming and restoring. In fact, in fact, that's what all of Scripture is about. It is the story of God's redeeming work in this world. Through human history, since the very day one when it broke, God has been in the process of making things right again. And someday it will be completed. And the brokenness that we see in our world, the brokenness that we experience in our own lives is only the reminder that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Because, you see, if life is too smooth and life is too comfortable here, we will never have any desire for something better. And there is something better. So Paul writes to the Roman church, we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character. But not just our character, he says, also Character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. That God is using those broken pieces and those broken times in our lives not only to remind us of His presence, not only to shape our character, but to point us to something better. Hope. John Ortberg writes, God is not at work producing the circumstances you want. He's at work in bad circumstances producing you, the you He wants. Brokenness starts the restoration process. Brokenness is where God does some of his best work. And if you want proof of that, look at Jesus. Because Jesus came into this broken world and lived with broken people and eventually was himself broken in his body. But in that brokenness, God was doing his best redemptive restoring work. And that's what he can do in you. That's what he can do in you. Whatever loss, whatever brokenness, whatever whatever you are experiencing right now, and it feels like it will never end, it is just the reminder there is something better. 
There is something better. So Paul wrote, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. When Jesus affirms brokenness, when Jesus says things like, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He is not just speaking pious platitudes. And he is not just giving some theological hypothesis. He's talking about his own life. And the brokenness of this world and the brokenness that you might be going through right now, I want you to know you're not alone. God is with you in the middle of it. And even if you brought it on yourself, he's going to use that to reshape and reform your character. And never forget, there's something more. John Ortberg writes it this way. What is God doing in our brokenness? Is there any hope in our brokenness? He writes these words, and I love this. He says, God remains sovereign. Grace beats sin. Prayers get heard. The Bible endures. Heaven's mercies spring up new every morning. The cross still testifies to the power of sacrificial love. The tomb is still empty. The kingdom of Jesus that Jesus announced is still expanding without needing to be bailed out by human efforts. God is still in the business of redemption. He specializes in bringing something very, very good out of something very, very bad. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.